thank you for having me here. Thank you for the opportunity. And, and uh, I'm going to do a fine how do you do. I'm going to preach on repentance this morning. So that's a good way to meet people and uh, make friends and influence people, I think Norman Vincent Peale said. Uh, I want to talk about real repentance today because repentance, real repentance is the gateway to real joy. And there's no other way to get to deep joy without going through repentance. So this is one thing we're going to have to face and understand. And I think you might be surprised. Um, let me read a few scriptures and I'll pray before we start. From John, 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. John 14.14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. He dwells with you and will be in you. Romans 8.26 and 27, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Father, we uh, thank you that we come to you, and there's no use being pretentious about things. You know everything already. We stand naked before you, and your word discerns the deepest thoughts and intents of our heart. Yet we come to you with our fig leaves and our pretensions, and it's partly because we're ashamed, we're embarrassed, we're, we're hurting. Uh, it's partly because we're proud and we don't want to come clean with you. And it's partly because we've lost the joy of deep uh, fellowship with you, the joy of your helping presence. Take us through this process today uh, to the other side, to the joy that comes through uh, really learning how to confess our sins before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, we're going to have a few times of prayer today and I'm going to put you in some prayer uh, opportunities. Uh, have you ever been in a schoolyard fight? Who's been in a schoolyard fight here? Or a hockey, hockey fight, right? Come on, girls, put up your hands. I want to hear about it. You have, eh? I want to hear that story after. Um, so I had this schoolyard fight in grade 12, and I danced with this girl who her boyfriend got jealous and said, okay, let's throw down, and we were going to have this fight. And it was a back alley behind Safeways in Calgary, uh, by Henry Wisewood High School, and I came with my entourage of three skinny guys. And this other guy came, he's skinny, but the three guys he brought were like, you know, uh, you know small gorillas. And uh, I looked at them and I said, uh, I don't like the odds here because the way they work from his background is if you fight one and win, you get to fight the next. And I thought, my, I'm going to lose. I brought the wrong guys along. And so... I'm pondering what to do next, and up drives Murray Detman in his 444 Charger, Hemi, and, you know, makes a lot of noise, makes a grand entrance, and Murray's as big as three of them put together, football player, everything, and Murray says, what's up, John? And I said, well, there's a little scrap happening here, but, uh, you know, and, he's, and he looked and he says, okay, I'll stick around. Well, so it was just me and Murray, and I could handle it, right? I'm going to tell you what happened. Um, uh, yeah, okay, I'll tell you what happened. He lost. Anyway, uh, okay, that's kind of a humorous understanding of how we meet and address the reality 
the daily reality of sin in our lives. Sin is, never comes alone to the fight. Sin always comes with guilt, with shame, with a deep sense of unworthiness. So repentance is never easy because it's a very complicated mess. And uh, we're, we're laboring to come to God because of these big, this, the, the size of the foe and his entourage is too big for us. And this is where the advocacy of Jesus comes in. And that's what I'm going to talk about today, is we have a helper. He's called the advocate in Scripture. If any of us does sin, and we shouldn't, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And this is key to us understanding how to make it through this. The advocacy of Jesus that's spoken of there is a legal term at times in the Bible, and it means someone like uh, a lawyer or a mediator, someone who speaks on your behalf. Of course, Jesus' advocacy goes beyond just speaking on our behalf. He stands between us and God as a sacrifice. So he not only, uh, so, so, to, so, so to speak, tells something on our behalf, but he, he interposes himself. He removes all the occasion of guilt so that the Father can declare us absolutely innocent because of Jesus' mediation. So there's that sense of advocacy, but the word is more nuanced than that. You, it's maybe a word you've heard before, parakletos, and that means he is an alongside one. Para means along, and kletos means to, to, to be alongside us. So Jesus' advocacy means he's helping us, and he moves forward, us forward in this battle. Uh, we don't have to be alone because we have someone who cares for us and counsels us in the fight. Now, the Holy Spirit is how he does this. It's interesting, the Bible, we read this passage where it says, I will send a helper to you, and that's the same word for advocate. He's alongside us. I'll send the advocate to be with you, and he will carry you through this experience. So how is it that he advocates for us in caring for us? Through the person of his Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of Christ that we receive. It is in having the Holy Spirit that we have Jesus. It's being inhabited by Christ that we experience our union with Jesus. That's why Jesus says, the helper who dwells with you will be in you. So if you today truly believe in Christ and trust him with your whole life and every breath in you, you can rejoice because when it comes to your struggle against sin, you have an advocate who comes alongside you an alongside friend, and he is with you and within you, he cares about what you're going through, and he knows it all. He's not against you, but for you. And it's in prayer that we discover, so this is a sermon really about prayer, because it's in prayer that you discover that Jesus is alongside within you. That truth is entirely dormant until it's awakened by prayer. First of all, it is Jesus who gives you uh, the spirit to want to pray. Paul talks about it this way. He says that we are given the spirit that we might cry out, Abba, Father. That we have a relational, experiential consciousness of the presence of God as we pray. And our union with Christ is actualized as we pray. 
Now, Luther said the gospel, that prayer enacts the gospel. The gospel is just words until we pray. So because the spirit of Christ is in you, your inner world is becoming a world of prayer. Once you were deaf and dumb towards God, but now you hear him and now you speak to him. Now, how does Jesus come alongside you? First of all, he actually prays for you. He ever lives to intercede for you. He who is now in heaven, exalted, has won the victory. It says he ever lives to intercede for us. And it refers to his mediation, but it also refers to his speaking on our behalf to the Father. In his Holy Spirit, he prays alongside you. It's very interesting. It said, I will send you a helper. And then in Romans, it says, this helper helps you in your weakness. And that word help is a very interesting word. It means to come alongside and lift and carry what you're carrying. It's a long word. It's about eight syllables. And what it is, it's the idea that the whole, as you pray and as you carry a burden, he's not the adversary, but the one who comes alongside and lifts one end of your burden with you. So this is just a background to say that in receiving the Spirit, enjoying your union with Christ, you receive a passion to pray. In receiving the Spirit, He comes alongside to carry your burden and to fill out your prayers. What I want you to take a moment right now on your own just to thank God that he has given you this alongside friend, that you're not alone in prayer, to As you pray, think of yourself as not praying alone, but Jesus interceding on your behalf and the Spirit praying with you. Just take a moment to experience that yourself and ask God to help you experience that. Amen. So my my first point is that the, the beginning of being able to fight effectively and to repent fruitfully and to come through the other side to the joy that's offered is to let Christ come alongside. Don't fight this fight alone. Guilt, shame, unworthiness are more than you can handle. Don't get alone with sin. Somebody once said, don't get alone with the devil. You'll lose. And it's true. Don't get alone with sin. You can't win that fight. You need him alongside. You need him within. Now, the second facet of repenting effectively and real repentance is bring your whole self to Jesus when you're burdened. Bring your whole self to Jesus when you're burdened. Sometimes it's, uh, we think of sin as an isolated act or a confession, repentance. So, you know, you, you're aware of your sin, all of a sudden, let's, let's get rid of it. Let's just say we're sorry. Let's, let's, let's have done with it. But really, it is actually this wrestling match that we have, which is the greatest sanctifying and essential element of our life. On the other side of true repentance is real joy. So we have to learn to walk through it with God. God is disappointed with our sin. But he's not our adversary as we repent. He's our friend. And he's alongside us. It takes a rearrangement of our consciousness to realize that we're not alone as we deal with our faults and our transgressions. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah that indicates what I'm trying to say. God says this, Come now, let us reason together. If your sins are as bright as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. 
No matter how dark they are, I can remove them as far as east from, as from the west. In other words, enter into conversation with me as you deal with your sin. Reason with God. Understand, and this is so key that we have to understand because we get very confused when it comes to sin. You're wrestling with guilt, you're wrestling with anxiety, you're confused, well, who's wrong here, who's right here? I can't figure it out. It gets very confusing. I need a lot of things from God to be able to repent. For example, when I'm confused, I say, God, give me light. Help me to see what the real issues are here. Where am I to be responsible? Where is it somebody else's responsibility? Where is it just an accident? Just the, the confusion, I need light. Secondly, I come with all kinds of wounds and all kinds of hurts. If it's been a conflict, then there's two people who are usually quite wounded and hurt. And we need healing when we're hurt. We need help from God to come alongside us. If you're, if you're completely broken by the conflict that you're in the middle of or broken by the sin that you've participated in, let's suppose that you've gotten yourself caught in some kind of behavioral transgression, maybe pornography would be a good example. The first thing to realize is you're deeply, deeply wounded by that. And you're in a hurting posture. And you need, paradoxically, before you can be forgiven and healed, you need healing to get to the point of dealing with that. You need to trust God that he will heal you from your wounds and hurts, even as you go through this process. Another aspect of repentance is you find yourself very weak. You feel so helpless. You feel like, I could never make my way back to God. He's an infinite distance from me. I'm beyond repair, and I don't know what to do. So what do you need when you're weak is you need strength. Christina Rossetti had a beautiful poem that said, My faith burns low. My hope burns low. From the depths of its weal and woe, my soul turns to you again. So we come to God in that utter weakness is a pleasing prayer to God and acceptable. So often we think we have to be prepared and ready and have dealt with things, and then we can come to God. And we do all this internal wrestling to get to that point of repentance. But it's actually getting there with God's help that gives us the courage and strength to effectively repent. Another thing we deal with is a sense of self-condemnation. As soon as you do something wrong, there's a bunch of people accusing you, a bunch of personalities, put it that way. First of all, if you're sensitive at all, you're accusing yourself. You're feeling bad about yourself. Then, quite possibly, the person you're having a problem with is accusing you. And then I guarantee you there's somebody else accusing you because his name is accuser. And so you're under this massive accusation. You need, when your condemnation rests upon you, you need to remember about Jesus as your advocate, what John said, if our hearts condemn us, he is greater than our hearts. He can help you face that condemnation. He doesn't want you to live under that accusation. If the Holy Spirit's going to convict you, it won't be by accusing you. 
It'll be by convicting you, which is altogether different. So when you're caught up in a spirit of accusation, you have to start reasoning with God to bring it to the character of conviction. Then, after all of this, and you've maybe spent a long time, maybe, maybe days, I don't recommend you stall before you say sorry to someone, but a, a rapid, unthought-out repentance doesn't work either. So what you do is you come when you've, God has given you what you need to say, and then you'll be able to give him your sin. Then you'll be able to confess to that other person and say, I really see my wrong now. God's given me light to see. And I've gotten past the accusation, and I can freely repent to you and to God. One of the hymn writer understood this. It's not just bringing my sin, it's bringing my whole self to God. Come you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, filled with power. Poor, needy, weak, wounded, sick, sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, filled with pity, filled with power. I want you to pray with me now because I'm going to go through that words and I'm going to say a phrase and then give you a moment to think about it, okay? And then we're praying together in other words. Let's join in a little concert of prayer. I'm going to use another hymn. We bring our guilt to you, Lord Jesus, to wash our crimson stains. White in your blood most precious till not a spot remains. We bring our griefs to you, Jesus, our burdens and our cares. You from them all release us. You all our sorrow share. We bring our guilt to Jesus, to wash our crimson stains, white in your blood most precious, till not a spot remains. We rest our soul on Jesus, this weary soul of mine. Your right hand me embraces, we on your breast recline. Thank you, Jesus, that we can reason with you. Thank you that we can bring our whole self to you. Thank you that we don't have to flee the enemy, but we can face the enemy knowing we have an advocate and a longside friend to face this essential but dreadful challenge to deal with the reality of our own weaknesses and sins. Give us courage to do so, we pray. Amen. So the first thing I talked about is Realizing Christ is alongside you. The second is bring your whole self to Jesus. The third is this. Repentance deepens when you go after the whole root of your sin. You know, dandelions are the arch enemy uh, of our house. I actually plucked a thousand dandelions out of our yard this year. I went after them a hundred at a time. I was like on a crusade. And... Um, I got a root digger, and so I went after the roots. And needless to say, through the rest of the summer, I didn't have to dig up a lot of dandelions because I went after the root. 
if I didn't go after the root and I just kept mowing it every week, you actually grow a whole new harvest of dandelions. And the ones that were there come back with steroids. They've got like their ugly, mean-looking dandelions. They get stronger every time they come back. Well, repentance is like that. A quick, brief, thoughtless, unreflective repentance. I'm sorry. It's like snipping the hand off the dandelion. Whatever it was, it's coming back. Or self-loathing, guilt-driven. You're right. I'm the worst person in the world. Couldn't be anybody worse. We do a lot of that, you know. The self-loathing kind of repentance. Just snipping the head off the dandelion. It'll come back. Maybe that day. Not seeing or caring about the injury you did to someone else. Or to God. In other words, it's all about me and how I feel bad now, but I actually hurt someone. I've injured someone. And to see their pain, and I've actually grieved my father, and to see his pain, true repentance gets out of ourselves and sees those we've offended. We have to go deep in repentance to experience the joy of forgiveness. There's a famous sermon by a guy by the name of George Whitfield, and he preached this sermon uh, to 20,000 people at a time and would see several thousand come to Christ. And this is the four, the four things to repent of, and I think it's good to remind ourselves of these four things. And if you've never repented, this is also very helpful. Firstly, you must be made to see, to feel, to weep over to bewail your actual transgression of the law of God. Second, you must be convinced of the foundation of your transgressions. By that, I mean original sin. When the sinner is awakened, he begins to wonder, how did I come to be so wicked? The Spirit of God strikes him and shows that no good thing dwells in him. Third, There must be a deep conviction of self-righteousness. This is the last idol to be taken out of the heart. If we're busy judging others, gossiping, complaining, blame-shifting, I didn't mean to do that, then that's probably the idol of self-righteousness that you're, you're fighting with right now. And it's probably winning. Gossipers are self-righteous people always. If we prayed as much as we gossip, we'd save Langley in about three months. The first sin, we we, we must repent of self-righteousness, which means we have to put an end to gossip. Our opinion's not solicited on many, many things in life that we feel necessary to give it. Let's think that over in terms of how we cultivate community and friendships and relationships. But here's number four. There's one particular sin that one must be greatly troubled for, and I fear there are a few of you who think what it is. It is the reigning, the damning sin of the Christian world, and yet the Christian world seldom or never thinks of it. And what is that? It's what most of you think you're not guilty of. That is the sin of unbelief. I want you to pray now and, and ask this question, Am I repenting with Jesus' spirit? Am I giving my whole self to God? Am I going for the whole route? I just want you to think about your own repentance. Maybe you've never repented. 
and you said, this guy's asking me to swallow a very, very big fish whole. In that case, just ask God to help you understand more. And he's saying to you, come reason with me. Let's reason this through. We'll take it a step at a time. There's no rush here. But I want you just to take a moment to ask yourself, am I truly repenting and seeing Jesus alongside me, giving my whole self to God, going for the root? Let's just take a moment to pray. Well, we've gone through the struggle. The good news is what's on the other side. Now, any of you who have been Christian for any length of time, in fact, think of the day you became a Christian. You came through the door of repentance. I promise you, or you didn't come in the door. You just said, I'm weak, I'm sorry, I'm hurt, I'm broken, I'm wrong, I'm, I'm just one big mess from head to toe, and take me as I am, and I want to be yours. And I said, that's a great posture any day of the week to God. And what did you feel? What did I feel in that convent garden when I just... That's actually said. I said, I don't know anything about anything. But I know my life is in absolute total disrepair. And I don't know what to do with it. And I don't know where to go. I have this anxiety in my heart. I'm broken. I don't know, I don't know anything. And Jesus lifted that burden so utterly and so totally. It, was, it disappeared. It evaporated. And I got filled I got filled, I, st I, I, st I was tingling as if I'd stuck my finger in a 220 volt. It was, but it was joy. I just felt the electricity of God saying, I'm on your side. I take you through. My son gave himself for you. I love you more than you could dream or imagine. And my being had joy that it had never experienced since the day I was born. And I find that the greatest periods of joy in my Christian life follow after conviction. And the older I get, the longer I've been a Christian, it's 46 years now, that my, my times of repentance take more time now, take longer. They might take days. As God helps me through this, as we reason together, as we pray together, and what follows that is a period of unbelievable joy and productivity and effectiveness in the kingdom. Augustine said something. He says, I gladly confess my sins because whenever I empty myself, you fill me to the brim with your love. If there is no joy or so little joy in our lives, it's because we haven't learned the secret of real repentance. And if you are a person whose life has joy in it, and people notice that joy, and there's evidence of God in your life, then you know something about what I'm talking about. And you're experiencing the gateway. You've gone past self-loathing and accusation and, and quick repentances to reasoning Coming, let Jesus come alongside, giving your, and you've come to the other side and you say, I'm ready to go back again because I want to come to that choice. Listen to Psalm 51. The whole passage is built on emptying and filling. Every second verse is one or the other. It's emptying and filling. Listen, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. 
David understood real joy because he understood real repentance. I wanted to ask you today, brothers and sisters, would you like to experience the fullness of joy that God has? The filling of the Spirit in its full measure that you can. Then I want you to Listen to the invitation of Christ to be your advocate, to take a journey of repentance with him, to learn to walk that mile with him and him being alongside you. And I promise you and he promises you on the other side is forgiveness, is strength, is hope, is joy, and the effectiveness and purpose of life you long for. You'll be ready to live righteously. You'll be eager to teach others to know Christ. What I want you to do now is we're going to end just with a little praying for one another. You can pray on your own if you don't feel comfortable with this, but I want to encourage you to pray for someone beside you, two or three of you. And what I want you to do is pray for Jericho Ridge. Ask God to fill this church in a fresh way. Whatever he has in terms of teaching you or the congregation to confess that you'll have the courage to do that. Pray for God's filling, God's joy through real repentance. Just take time to pray for each other. Bless the person beside you in prayer, and I'll close after a minute.